Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. The opinions and statements expressed in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of WWDB, its staff, or management. Inspirational women are increasingly popular in the news and media, but many go unheard and their stories are never told. Women to Watch with Susan Rocco captures the stories of many women who truly make a difference. Women to Watch is the vehicle for developing new leaders, encouraging younger generations, and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB and womentowatch.net. Um, thrilled to be back in the studio um, after a long week off, busy, busy with uh, with the holidays and everything else that's going on. Um, two, two quick notes. I want to be sure you have our call-in number if you'd like to call in and chat with either my co-host, Dr. Beth Dupree, or our guest this afternoon. And you can do so by calling 888 888- 329-6302. And please be sure to visit our website so you can be uh, in the loop on everything that Women to Watch is doing and who our guests are in our lineup. And you can find us at womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net. Um, in just a few minutes, we're going to bring on our guest for this afternoon. Her name is Nancy Cauldron. And she is the KPMG Global Partner for IBM. Um, I have a lot of great questions for Nancy. And uh, But before we get to her, I want to welcome Dr. Dupree back to the show. She has some interesting information for us on a new study that came out um, regarding mam- mammographies. Welcome to the show, Beth. Hey, Susan, how you doing? Did you have a good I'm weekend? Good. I did. I had a very good weekend. You know, it's just been unusually warm, so I'm welcoming I that. Know. I'm not ready for the I snow and winter. It's funny. I was in teaching in Las Vegas on Friday, and it was warmer here than it was there, which is kind of crazy. Wow. Yeah, yeah. You never know what you're going to get these days. So we just grateful for each day. Did you have a good weekend? I did. I had a very good weekend. I felt like I got caught up on a lot of things. It's sometimes kind of hard just to get it all done and uh, and feel like I'm starting Monday with a with a clean slate. So. I know, I know. But, you know, but it, Mondays used to be kind of you know that that day you dreaded, and now with the show, I look forward to it. <laughs> yeah, I, I look for. 
I look forward to it after about five or six hours of surgery. But uh, right. anyway, it's all good. Yeah. So tell me, listen, you you know, something very important came out in the news about women and false positives with their mammographies. And I'd love for you okay. to tell the audience. So remember, uh, oh, my gosh, it was probably five months ago we talked about the fact that they were changing the screening recommendations to to change it so that uh, women between the ages of 40 and 49 were um, likely going to be excluded or they should consider getting mammographies. Yes. And one of the things that they had talked about with that group was that uh, they wanted to stop what they called false positives, women being called back for biopsies and, and, and having a, a, an unnecessary biopsy. So this study that came out was uh, published looked at 1.3 million women, so it's a very, very large study, and it was done over a 10-year period of time, and it showed that women that had callbacks, meaning you go for your screening mammogram, but they bring you back for an additional view or an ultrasound or something like that. So just being called back showed that there was a higher incidence of breast cancer in those women over the course of 10 years by 39%. Wow. That's a big percentage. Right. Now, of interest, in that subgroup, 76% higher interest, 76% 76% higher increased risk of breast cancer if they had a biopsy. So if you have a mammogram and you get a call back and then you actually have to have a biopsy, it means that we're finding something within you that puts you at a higher risk. So it looks like we've probably just identified a new risk factor. Now, of note is these women that have these uh, mammographies, they are... Um, The biggest risk group is really between the ages of 40 and 49, and that's the group that was just pretty much cut out of mammography. And what what do I mean cut out of mammography? It means that the new recommendations were that women should discuss it with their doctors between 40 and 49 because they were the group that they thought um, had the least benefit. But this study really shows that in women 40 to 49, um, they had the largest number of false positives, and um, so they are a group that truly, probably should still be getting screened. So I think this study is going to be, you know, kind of a pause for everyone who's doing a breast imaging and breast health because something isn't adding up. Mm. Okay, so what do you suggest for women patients who, you know, are getting mixed messages, I guess, from their own doctors? Um, you know, what, what can they do to make sure that they're doing the right thing, I guess? Well, the the American College of Radiology, the American College of Surgeons, the American Cancer Society is still recommending, you know, mammographies at age 40 and annually thereon. And you really need to discuss it with your physician. But more importantly, women who have had biopsies or women who have had callbacks for mammographies, they need to be very, very diligent about continuing with their screening because we know now that that is probably you know, another tick on the box that says, yeah, there's your breasts are proliferative, there's something to do with it. They don't know exactly what the connection is, but there's a connection. Okay. All right. Well, that's really important information. Um, anything exciting going on at the hospital we should know about? Um, just still working a lot on the experience design, working on in building our integrative medicine program. I have a couple meetings around that coming up, and uh, it's all very exciting. It's good stuff. Okay. Great. Well, as always, I want to say thank you to Holy Redeemer Health System for being one of our core sponsors um, and, and really allowing us to bring you the show every week and, and also the updates that Dr. Dupree 
brings to us, which, which are so important, really important. Um, I'd love to, to welcome our guest now this afternoon. And again, her name is Nancy Cauldron. And Nancy, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. It's, and it might be Calderon, uh, KPMG Global Partner for IBM. Welcome to the show, Nancy. Thank you very much, and thank you, Dr. Dupree. That was a fascinating study, so interesting. Um, it is You did say it incorrectly. It is Calderon, uh, or if you say it from Spain, it would be Calderon. Oh, so, I like that. So there's, a lot of, yeah. there's a lot of variation, so it all works fine. Okay. Thank you. Good, wonderful. Um, I'm really glad you're with us today. I mean, you're you're someone who is a very very busy lady, and um, I, I I'm just so happy to be able to have an hour with you to ask you some questions about leadership and technology and finance and and all of those areas. Um, but I really want to start with you as a, as a young girl and try to give our uh, audience a sense of who you were growing up and kind of what led to the position you hold today. Um, can you talk for a couple of minutes about your growing up years and what your aspirations were and, and maybe some of your challenges? Yeah, I'd be happy to, and thank you for the interest. Um, I, I was born in Philadelphia but moved out to California when I was six, <clears throat> and I am the fourth of five children. There's four girls, um, and we had a, a lovely family, robust and busy. And uh, however, college was never a, an aspiration or even something that was important to our uh, family. So, if you ask me, when I was growing up, and I grew up in the Bay Area, went to high school in Oakland. Um, if you ask me what my aspirations were in high school, I was hoping that I was going to be a rock star because I was playing guitar and singing on <laughs> uh, a regular basis. And uh, Otherwise, I, I was hoping that they had uh, professional softball for women, and at the time they barely had any of it. So uh, <laughs> schooling was not my my uh, a forte or even, you know, a dream. You know, I grew up in first gen. I'm the only only one of my generation and above that has a college degree. Wow. And wow. I did not graduate till I was 28. So I finally graduated from UC Berkeley, but came mm-hmm. out and did the community college at night and worked. And I moved out when I was 17, um, which I graduated from high school, but we all decided I could, I could live on my own and uh, ended up doing that. Uh, and, Ended up going into, you know, crazy careers that, that don't pay anything but give you a lot of life experiences um, besides playing guitar and singing, which was a hobby that I occasionally got paid for. Uh, it was uh, really I sold rebar and nails and steel was probably the most productive of the jobs that I had. So it was a change to actually go to college and get a little serious and then realize what was out there and one of my favorite memories is I was taking a marketing class at UC Berkeley and you had to write your own marketing uh, uh, report for what your job was going to be and research. Well, at the time, there were eight big, large uh, international accounting firms called the Big Eight. But when I started that process, so here's somebody that's 26 or 27, I thought they were all the firms in San Francisco. I had no idea that they were these global, wonderful firms that had all these opportunities for people. So from a kid in Oakland to uh, now running around the world for KPMG and working on uh, IBM, it it was a a big change, life-changing for sure. Yeah. You know, 17 is young, is a young age. What what precipitated your moving out at such a young age? 
Well, I think I was the fourth, and I was the first one to be independent. So my, okay. my parents were very strict, very Catholic, very you'll-be-home-at-9-o'clock kind of uh, regiment. And mm-hmm. I had started working when I was 12, so I had always had some money and some independence and just really felt that that was tough. And, but talking about 17, I now have a 17-year-old daughter. Right. So I say, you know, I moved out when I was your age, and she <laughs> looks at me appalled. Did you want me to do that? <laughs> Not in today's oh world, God. right? My goodness, oh, there's yeah. a lot of 20-year-olds, to, you know, today at home with mom and dad simply because it's so tough out there financially. Oh, and I'm sure mine will be there through college and after college, whatever it takes. Right. Supporter. Oh. Yeah. Well, we'll, so. we'll we'll talk about that. Um, you know, so you did, Nancy, you got your BS in business administration from Berkeley and a master's in taxation um, at Golden State. And I was wondering if you, at that time then, when you decided it was time to, you know, settle down and get serious, did you set goals for yourself or um, were you at that time just kind of following your interest and curiosity in business in general? Yeah, I think at the beginning I was just interested and I was I was a really good student in accounting and math. So it just made it an easy uh, transition. I wasn't really sure prior to that what I was good at. Mm-hmm. And college kind of exposed me to that. I, I actually, when I was first started at KPMG, I always thought I wanted to go and uh, work in a small firm or my own firm and be entrepreneurial, and then realized that I was getting these really fabulous accounts and learning a whole bunch more. And but if you would have asked me at every point, I would have said, "Oh yeah, another couple of years, five more years, ten more years," and now I'm about to hit 30 years. So uh, the the good thing about public accounting or any any of these big firms that there's a lot of different opportunities. So this role right now is my 14th role at KPMG. Wow. And if you think about, you know, what if I wanted to quit it every time because I wanted to do something different, Mm -hmm. how blessed I feel to have a a company that actually lets you look all over the firm and all over the states and the world where you want to live. So it's it's been a blessing, and sometimes it was... In disguise, but it's turned out great. Yeah, Beth wants to, to. Nancy, it's kind of funny. My sister Sue worked for KPMG and went to Australia and worked over there for two or three years with them, um, as it was something she really wanted to do for herself professionally, and um, it was something that was always kind of on her bucket list. And she still lives in Australia today. She's no longer an accountant now. She's a clinical social psychologist. But I can speak for the uh, the company's been doing that forever because she left years ago. Oh, terrific. That's a great story. And she's still there. Wow, that's good. Yeah, she's still there. But she's not an accountant anymore. Yeah, that's a little far, though, for visiting, family visiting. (laughs) I know, but it's worth the flight. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Um, Particularly in the winter. You go there at Christmas and it's summer. I know, because it's their summer. I was there last Christmas and it was fabulous. Yeah, yeah, terrific. Nancy, I wanted to um, to take a moment to talk about um, something that I read that you had said was uh, an overriding theme to your success, and that is to make each day count um, because you never know what the next day is going to bring. And I, I understand that you um, you know you suffered uh, two losses in your life that were substantial and really um, had a, a, an effect on you and and how you live your life. I wondered if you could talk about that for a few minutes. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So <clears throat> moving out at 17, I the, the next big move I had, I got married at 19, 
uh, to my high school sweetheart, and even that would be young, right? 17 and then married at 19. Um, And then he died tragically when we were 21. So that was really a moment of, um, and, and even still I reflect on it, about how that changed. You know, when you're 21, you, you think you could do anything whenever and you'll just conquer the world whenever you get around to it. So That's it right. was a, a true moment of, oh, wow, there is some, <laughs> there's some issues here that I could work through and really start to focus. So that, that was very impactful in my life, uh, it, particularly in, in almost a, uh, not so much how driven I became at work, which I, to my surprise, I became very driven at work, but I think I took out of there about the joy in life and that every day I can have joy. Every day I, I don't have, I can choose to not be mad. I can choose to not have, you know, temper tantrums or whatever I would call them at a 21-year-old. But uh, I think that it really has provided me with um, a really super positive outlook and uh, fun and hopefully grace would, would be um, some lessons I've had out of that. And then the other one that was, and this was older when I was 40, so my daughter, I had her when I was 40, I was carrying twins, so I I lost uh, the other one. Uh, so that was an interesting thing to think you get through one and then you go through the other one. Mm. Um, uh, but having gone through the first one, I think I was definitely in a better position. Uh, and certainly having my one surviving, and my daughter is a fantastic kid and baby, uh, takes took the pain away and had a family to deal with it, my husband, uh, as well as my daughter and I. So I had some interesting things that still really believe in that whole, you know, you can bring joy, you can bring joy to everyone and uh, fulfill what you want to do in life with that attitude. Yeah, so true. You know, it really, whenever we have uh, adversity, it gives us a, a different perspective. Um, and, and, you know, that's always kind of the, the positive outcome. And choice really is everything. So I, I agree with you 100%. Um, you know, and, 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 I, and I, delightfully or ironically, we now, all four of our parents are alive. We have uh, 10 brothers and wow. sisters. So mm-hmm. we have this enormous longevity in, in and all around us. Uh, yeah. So you feel blessed about that. that that's it, right. It started it was young, but then it's really turned out okay. Yeah, that's terrific. Um, well, one of the things we talk about often on the show um, are mentors and, and what other people in our careers and professional lives can do for us. And I understand that a mentor um, in your life at KPMG was someone who uh, was influential and actually asked you to take on your first lead role there at KPMG. Um, and that was a big, you know, that's a big job. You were asked to um, head up the Western region for the trust tax practice. And two questions I had for you regarding that. One was, you know, what was it in particular about that, uh, and I believe it was a woman, that mentor, that that really motivated you to say yes, and where did you find the courage to do that? Well, I was blessed, and I, I should have sent her this link today, so I'll make sure she comes back and look at it. Her name is also Susan, and I met her earlier in my career. She was my mentor, or she was my she was just my HR person. Uh, she was a partner, but they assigned us partners to talk about HR issues early on. And I remember her talking to me in like my third year, 
just about courage, and she was, you know, it was really, what, does anything make you nervous? And I said, you know, I don't like public speaking. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, you have to become a good public speaker. If you want a partner and if you want to be out there, you really need to conquer that fear. So before I knew it, and this is even before she gave me the big job, um, she brought me into a not-for-profit organization and said, oh, and by the way, you are now going to be the program director, which means you have to get up and interview someone once a month in front of 50 people. Well, it was such an exercise of, in my mind, of courage. I was so nervous about the whole thing. And over those next years, she was the one that just got me out on stage and said, well, you have a great message. You get out there. Let's start talking about it. But she really helped me overcome that. And then when that came up, not only the job came up because she was retiring, not only did she call me and say, you should do it, she actually had to go as a sponsor and um, convince the other leaders that I'm the one that had the skills to do it because I did not have the uh, SME. I wasn't an SME in that space, subject matter expert, uh, but I was a, a tax senior manager, so I had some skills, but she went in there and absolutely convinced our leadership as well as the clients that it's worth the year it'll take her to get up to speed and to do this. So she really did take me, I would say, jump me over maybe four or five years of people ahead of me uh, because she had that confidence. And she's given me confidence. She's a wonderful woman. Yeah, it's it's always interesting. when, And this is often the case where someone else has more of a belief in your abilities than you do, right? And yes, so when you hear... Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so tell me, you know, you mentioned a daughter. I know you have a daughter and she's 17. And I, I was wondering what kind of conversations you have with her about um, self-esteem and, you know, kind of digging down deep and finding what her gifts are um, when she thinks about her career. Yeah, well, it's it's so fun right now. As you might imagine, we're just starting to think about colleges. He's a junior in high school. And um she gets to vote next year. So we have a, a lively uh, discussion um, going on. You know, it's right. interesting because if you ask her, uh, I, I, one of my funny stories, I was talking when I, I wrote a book, and I think you'll ask me about it later, but yes. I wrote a book, and we, one of the things I said is make sure you Google yourself to make sure that, you know, if you're trying to get on a board that your expertise is showing there. And I was talking to her, and I said, you know, Lindsay, I was Googling myself, and there were all these stories about me talking about you because I was an executive with a young child, Mm -hmm. and how did I make that work? And she said, yeah, not only that, Mom, you were on YouTube like seven times, but if you quit (laughs) talking about me, enough, right, enough. (laughs) But she, she, you know, the most interesting thing that I've learned, and some another friend uh, told me uh, maybe when she was 12 or 13 is, you realize that she is an introvert and you're bringing her to all these events and exposing her thinking you're going to um, influence her. So someone told me that, and I didn't know much about introverts versus extroverts, studied a little bit. And sure enough, we, we both started talking about that and had to figure out how do we best communicate with each other. And three or four years later, I, I, I'm just delighted that when she'll call me when I'm on the road and she'll talk for two hours about what she's thinking about career-wise and why she thinks this is good and who she's motivated to listen to around the election. So I I think in in many respects she's picked up a great um, deal around how important it is for women to have confidence and uh, support other women. 
Uh, I think that's a theme in our home. Uh, even my husband could tell you some of the, the common discussion items. Uh, but she's so different than me. She's just, it's so fascinating. And I'm just trying not to grab her and say, do this, do this, do this, and just let her uh, flower on her own. Yeah. Well, you, you know, she's seeing, you're an example, you know, just by the work that you do. And um, it, it's always interesting to me to talk to women that are leaders and, and working on the, the high level that you do, and they have children. And the discussions are always sometimes so different from what the, they're really witnessing um, their parents doing out there. So, um, you know, you, you mentioned the book, and we should definitely talk about that. It's a, it's, um, a big part of what you do. The book happens to be uh, Women on Board, and um, you co-authored it with Susan Stoutberg. Um, why did you both feel it was important to do this book? Well, it, it, the original, when we originally sketched it out, we were, um, Susan Stoutberg is the CEO for Women Corporate Directors. And she and I were in India, and we were talking to a, a group of women that wanted to get on board because India has recently passed a, an act that requires women on their public boards. And they were trying to figure out how to go about it and bring in the best, what do they need to train. So we realized we were sitting there giving uh, a lot of advice and handing out pieces of paper and said, wow, there's probably a need uh, for a book in a practical and tactical uh, way. I think there's been plenty of studies that have said boards have uh, um, performed better with diverse boards, and whether that's women gen or age, whichever way you want to look at it, geographical, uh, work better. Uh, and we thought, oh, let's start, let's pull together a tactical, practical book, let's interview over 100 board members and get their advice about how did they get to meet people to be in the network to get the jobs? And then once you're on a board, how do you get on your, what do you do in your first meeting? And then once you're really on a board, how do you really take it to another level? So it just evolved out of we were having so many discussions with people interested in it. And uh, I, in my mind, I think I thought it was more of a curriculum book that we could use. And but we're delighted that our first printing all sold out. So perhaps we, it's going a little wow. better than we thought. Yeah, that's terrific. You know, and and of course the the reason we want to try to support women and and encourage them to be on more boards is is because of the diversity, uh, or because of the positive impact diversity will have. Tell me what you think from a personal standpoint. Having more diversity at the top really will do for, uh, you know, the world in the long run? Oh, I, well, I'm a big believer, and I think it's Warren Buffett who said, you know, why we're not using 50% of the best brains is ridiculous, what we could be doing in the world. So I have world views about how I think women uh, could impact even this crazy stuff that's going on now. Uh, but business-wise, uh, we definitely, there's more women that are getting their college degrees and yet, for some reason, we're unable to work through the, the difficult periods, particularly when uh, we're having children. So, and then, so we're losing this enormous, brilliant gap of, of people that could perform for our companies. Mm -hmm. um, I, I know, I know. At, at KPMG, we just um, probably after we spoke with you, we elected our first female CEO and chair uh, in July, and our board 
five years ago we had one woman on the board, and now with her election, we're up to six out of 15. And, and I just see her, I just was just at the first partners meeting, and she was speaking, and I was so inspired the, the last couple of hours that we typically would be talking about, you know, what's our plan and our forecast for the uh, coming year, and she stopped, and the last four speakers were all about purpose, and why do we have purpose? We're accountants, but we have purpose. For our purposes, you know, giving support to capital markets if we're auditors, but we're also helping do um, many, many good things um, in the world, whether it's because we're doing things on a charitable basis or we're helping the organizations uh, that are changing the world. And I thought, wow, that is so powerful. And I, I, I told some guys, I go, that's because it's a woman with that voice, but my goal is, or my, you know, our dream would be, why can't we all have that voice? And if it just take more women uh, with courage up there to have that kind of open conversation. But I find it inspirational as well as uh, great for businesses to utilize the best and the brightest. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, more and more companies today are paying very close attention to their social responsibility as organizations. And I think it's something that women innately have um, just in our nature. Um I wonder if, you know, the KPMG, I, from what I've read, is really ahead of their time as far as um, diversity and, and offering leadership roles to women. Why do you think they've done it better than other companies? Oh, I, I think we're, we're, not, we're not great. We still have some work to do. I think we realize that our best, that's who we're uh, interviewing and hiring are women. So you realize that there was such a big transition I know when we started, I was on our women's advisory board for uh, a few years, so maybe 10 years ago, and the partner class was about half of what it is now. So it, it, we've definitely had some uh, major improvements, and, and which I'm thrilled. But if we're anywhere near, you know, parity uh, in the United States, if we are, our, fe- our graduates are females, uh, I think we need to get a little closer to parity than in the 20 to 30 percent. So uh, I think I think they did it because they consciously said 10 years ago, this is not good. We don't want to lose our best people, and we need to figure out um, how to keep them, which is, which is smart, and uh, we continue uh, to come up with some good things. But we still have a little, everybody still has a little more work to do. Right, we do. Um, Nancy, we're going to take a quick break for um, our sponsor. And when we come back, I'd like to talk a little bit more about that and how we can help the younger generation. We'll be right back. Perfect. Okay. There are 365 days to schedule a mammogram. Today is as good as any. Holy Redeemer Breast Care makes it easy. We offer the latest technology like 3D mammography and automated breast ultrasound that help find cancers in dense breast tissue. Plus, our same-day readings mean same-day peace of mind. Make today the day you schedule a mammogram. It's easy to request an appointment online at holyredeemer.com slash mammogram. Welcome back, everyone, to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860 and womentowatch.net. We're talking this afternoon with Nancy Calderon, and she is KPMG's global partner for IBM. Um, Just before the break, we were, you know, we all know that 
that while there have been great strides in um, bringing more females into leadership roles, we, we do have a long way to go. And everyone has, you know, different opinions on why that is, why um, the progression has been so slow when you think about all the women that have doing have been doing some great things for, for many, many years. Um, one of the things that we talk about on our show is, is really how important it is to get to young girls much early on um, rather than waiting till they're in their careers and then have, you know, workshops and, and um, you know, all kinds of support. What are some of the things, Nancy, you think would be beneficial for young girls um, or for us, I should say, to be doing for young girls to really get them to a, to a place where they believe that they can not only pursue the careers they want but really take on those leadership positions? Well, you know, I think almost the same – I think we're still – we're dealing with this with our young employees, to your point, because we haven't dealt with it uh, for even our younger women, our young girls. Um, if I think about, you know, like even just courage, it's, it's not that the, the girls or the women are lacking courage. I think we are uh, – we have raised them and raised us uh, with a certain protocol and courtesies um, that have prevented us from either being outspoken or confident. And um, if I think about a few things, so one, and I even, I, I, when I talk to my daughter about, say, her teachers, and she'll come back and say, you know, I wasn't happy with the result of an exam or a paper or something. And I said, well, you should go talk to them. And because if you have the courage to talk to them, they'll see a different insight. They'll also see... Um, at the end of the year, they go, oh, yeah, there was a couple of things that they were, they were concerned about. And she finds that a little difficult to do. Uh, and partly, I don't know if it's an introvert or, or, or what it is. But if I look at even our young employees uh, and the young girls, I think we need to train everybody to just step up and either step up and have the courage to ask for what they want but they also need to stop being discouraged when they don't get what they thought they deserved mm. when they didn't ask and when they didn't ask for it. Mm-hmm. Right? Because yeah. I, I always used my career and all these changes, and I said, you know, I've asked for these uh, roles, and some of them didn't make any sense, and I went in there and fought for them. And I think uh, having the courage to do those kind of things, we don't teach because we go, oh, well, girls are more courteous. You know, somebody might feel uncomfortable if you went in and said, how come this happened? How come I don't have more, I don't get more money? All those kind of things we've uh, trained them because our mothers trained us and our fathers have trained us that girls should be more courteous. Right. Well, and the other thing is I think kids today, you know, sometimes don't understand that they, they things take time. <laughs> and you have to, you oh. know, you have to have those those challenges and um, and definitely disappointments and, and um you know, before you get to a place that you're that you want to be, um, I think Beth has a question for you. Nancy, have you found that the millennials have um, more of a sense of entitlement nope. than our generation? I can't hear it if it is. Oh, I'm sorry. We're... Beth was asking if you felt that the millennials had um, more of a sense of entitlement than you feel uh, we did when we were their age. Well, I, I was just going to have to bring it. Great question. No, I think we all have to figure this out, right? I think, I think, I'm not so sure that it's entitlement. I think we have, as parents, 
been uh, constantly telling them how good they are, or and even even maybe as bad as they are too. But we've been giving instant feedback, and I think uh, our generations have grown up, and particularly in business, where you say, "Oh, well, I'll tell you how it went at your end, right? Here's your rating. Here's what your raise is." And I think the millennials are used to uh, more constant feedback. They definitely want positive. Uh, though I, I'm not so sure I'm a proponent of that, oh, every kid that played sports doesn't deserve a trophy. I, mean, I think I grew up where, oh, good shot, you know, too bad. You know, I think it was all positive if you played, and I don't think I was ever really on a winning team. So I'm not sure that has changed <laughs> as much as everybody is talking about. <laughs> but we, didn't, we never really got a lot of, you know, your parents didn't spend a lot of time talking to you about your grades. You know, you brought home your report card, and that was... Uh, the, the time you really discussed it, otherwise you were left on your own. So I do think we have something to learn, and we we have to learn because we're going to have so many retired baby boomers. These kids have got to do really well, and we have to make sure we're shepherding them into our future leaders. Yeah, it's so true. And, you know, there really is a difference between um, or finding the balance, I guess, between encouraging your kids to be independent you know, and and not coddling them or being those helicopter parents um, and then guiding them in the right direction, being a part of their lives, being there so that they feel that sense of security. And um, but I think it's it's the resilience that we need to find um, a way to to better build that in them without being too to, involved. Right. They need to learn it, to fail. They need to learn to fail. That's exactly right. And to understand that. That's, and to understand at the beginning they don't have a, a, a glamorous job. My daughter was offered an internship at a fantastic company for next summer, and she's talking to me. And she told well, what will I be doing? I go, it doesn't matter. You're, right. you're just probably going to be getting coffee. I, you know, <laughs> you're going right. to do whatever they ask you to do. That's right. Oh, I thought I, I, thought I was going to be doing code. And, <laughs> That's right. I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think so. A junior in high school, there, there's an opportunity. Yeah. You know, I, t- I said to my kids, because they were both in those positions, you need to work your way right out of that position. If that's not where you want to be, um, you just work your way right out of there by, you know, you know, doing what you need to do and get in there early and stay late. That's Absolutely. right. Those first 10 years are, and everybody says 10 years. I go, well, that's not what it takes if you want to. Uh, really jump to the top. You have got to put that time in. That's right. Nancy, I want to, you know, the the work that you do, again, it really is, you have a lot of responsibility. You're managing hundreds of people. You're working with, um, you know, IBM is one of the the biggest companies globally. And um, I don't particularly, you know, love the topic of work-life balance because I think it's non-existent. What I often will ask is how you manage the stress of having so much responsibility um, and, you know, both in your professional and personal life? Well, I, I'm with you. I don't, I don't think there's ever true balance. I, I've had different balances. I, I started after I, when I, when I didn't have a daughter, but I just worked forever. I would work seven days a week, 80 hours a week. It was just no big deal. My, when I met my husband, he's all, you work seven days a week? I go, oh, no, Sunday I just come in for a few hours to clean up. To get ready for <laughs> week. He's up. You sound crazy. like Dr. Dupree. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> well, if I don't do that, right? So yeah. I, I, I did that. and But then all of a sudden you have a baby and you realize, oh, my goodness, I, you know, am I really going to outsource raising my daughter? And, I, you know, ha- only having one and at 40, I, I definitely had a different lens. So mm. we decided not to have a nanny. And my husband uh, was an attorney, just retired a couple of years ago. Uh, so we did the who's bringing her to daycare, who's picking her up, all that uh, kind of craziness. Mm-hmm. And I and I think what I if I look at my career now I definitely allowed myself to slow down during those those times and be there more uh, than say I am and now uh, the other I had some I had a few things that I did uh, to work it out and it, it wasn't perfect by any means but um, I would I would go every year the first at the beginning of the year I would go into her teacher and say what can I do on a volunteer basis, one day a month. And I just would book it. Mm. And I put her in a co-op uh, nursery school, so I knew I would have to uh, be there and I could figure out how I work around it and get some flexibility there. And that uh, really did work. The other one I say is brilliant and everybody should do if your spouse also works, is to introduce your two secretaries. Because oh, there you of, yeah. of, of all the years, there was only one week we both traveled. They just they just coordinated our lives so we could um, make it better. You know, to the whole point of who's the village. You know, we've had teachers that we've dropped her off that early. Our neighbors can we bring her over at five in the morning tomorrow? You know, all this all this craziness. Um, but I never felt overwhelming stress. I just I just kind of go, oh, this is crazy. This will settle. You know, this is good. Probably one of our worst stresses right now. We, we just downsized our apartment, so in New York City, going, oh my God, how are we going to live in this little place? And what are we going to do with all this, all this stuff that we had accumulated? Right. Um, <laughs> purge, right? Yeah, it's time to purge. We had a purge, which is fun but stressful. Yeah. So I think we're, we we go. You know, every now and then, my daughter, particularly my daughter, will call me when I'm on the road really upset and I go oh boy I missed something here it's been this has been brewing for a few weeks and um I had missed it so I feel badly about that but I also controlled my travel I I think her whole life I've only been gone more than five days twice so I come home Mm -hmm. and do my best to come home and never go back to back weeks I'll come home for a week and go for a week so Different for everyone, but for us, it seemed to work that way. Yeah. Well, it it, it is different for everyone, and I I sense, you know, a a calmness about you, Nancy, and I could be wrong. I'm only talking to you on the phone, but I do kind of sense that you have this ability to um, not maybe overreact to situations and really just um, calmly face um, you know, the obstacles that come about each day. That's that's a great quality because, you know, in today's world, we certainly never know what we're going to wake up to, um, no matter what our plans You're right. are, right? You're right. I've, I don't know what, where I got early on. I think I was, I don't know, like a third or fourth year staff person, and it was just when voicemail, that's how old I am, just when voicemail came out, right? So I got home, I left work at 8 or 9 at night, I got home, and I called my voicemail to check if I had any messages. And sure enough, I had a message at 10 o'clock at night. And it was somebody that was really angry at me. And I could, and I, and I knew I wasn't wrong, but I just, I did not sleep that night. 
Mm-hmm. And I got up the next day and I said, I am never checking my email, voicemail after I am home. When I am ready to back for the Yeah, bed, that's a great, I am yes. Just it, end it. Now we all have iPads and all those other electronic smartphones that we're checking them all the time. But at the time it was like a, oh my God, you checked, couldn't have done anything about it anyway. Why are you doing that? And yeah. just adding to your anxiety. Yeah, so true. So no, one, true. no one leaves you wonderful, wonderful voicemail messages at 10 no. o'clock at night. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> if they're calling you at 10 o'clock at night, there's a problem for sure. Um, you know, and that, that speaks to the, you know, the whole culture um, today in today's world with technology. And, and a big part of what you do is um, around technology within KPMG. I'm always curious to know what people's views are on both the pitfalls of the fact that we're such a technology-run world today um, versus the advantages, because there there truly is both. Well, that's true. For me, I have, it's, a, it's a bit of a dichotomy, right? Because as a, um, a person, I think we have too much. And it's, you know, I'm sitting at yesterday with my mom's 88th birthday party, and mm. within 30 seconds after, it's all singing happy birthday to her. Everybody had their smartphones out again. Yeah. I'm like, oh, God. This is absolutely crazy. What are we doing as a society right. uh, that we're not focused on each other? So uh, personally, I don't like that. Mm. If I look at my business side and what I am playing in in the world is, and I call my job a you know playground practically. It's so wonderful. Uh, <laughs> if you look at what techno- technology can do, and for women around the world, it will it will really change. If I think about, I'm on a board in India and talk to uh, some people there about the people that don't have access to education and do not have access to electricity. And now to have a a solar capacity opportunity to power a tablet that can deliver education to billions of people in this world, it just, just blows my mind that we are on the cusp of uh, that happening, and we'll, we'll probably see it. Our children will definitely see it. So I do find what we can do with technology fantastic. And, well, Dr. Dupree probably could talk much more than I could um, just in regards to what's going. My parents are 88. Yeah, they're, I know. We have the other two are 87. They're doing great. And medicine uh, has been great for them in the last 20 years, but it's going to be even better right, uh, right. for us and our children. Well, and of course, the ability that technology has just in connecting people to each other is enormous. What were you going to mention, Beth? Yeah, the the one thing that I've been saying over and over again, as I said, technology is amazing, but we should be driving technology. Technology shouldn't be driving us. And that's what's happening now with all the smartphones and the – you go to dinner and you see a family of four sitting at dinner and they're not talking. They're all on their smartphone. And that's not a great use of technology. It's not, and I am concerned uh, about, and my daughter, I've talked to her and other kids uh, about their lack of telephone and talking face-to-face, right? Yeah. So if I say, hey, you'll have to get on the telephone, it's like, ah, oh, what? I don't like to get on the telephone. Can I check? So we can't because, it's because there's plenty of people yeah. in the world Yeah, that, that don't do that. Um, so you're right. We, we definitely... Um, have found that that's an easier thing. I do like it. You know what I like it for? <laughs> I can't, 
is when uh, my husband and I perhaps are disagreeing about something. We actually are a little more honest on text <laughs> than we yeah. instead of just getting <laughs> mad at each other. I thought you were going to say you can Google it and prove that you're right. <laughs> Well, that's part of it, right? Right. You can I, think you, I think you read what you text or you write before you hit send versus you just blurt it out. That's so. right. Oh, that's very important, especially even, you know, in business, in emails. Before you set, hit the send button on that email, uh, you better review it or have someone else review it for you. That's yeah, great advice. That's one of my pet peeves of, of young people who write an email in text short uh words and I, go, I can't do that yeah right <laughs> I mean, you may not write an email using text language it's a different right it's a different animal yeah so nancy i'd love to know what you know again you, you've been so successful and when you're in a leadership role role and you're managing people it's it's very important that you're someone who can motivate your team what is your philosophy for motivating others on your team well i think mainly i like to uh, lead by example um, I do think I bring in my whole of joy. Um, I, I don't think there's any job you should do if you're not happy. It's crazy to be in something that makes you miserable. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say that most people that work for me hear me laugh every day and tell some story and um, enjoy it. I, I am a big uh, proponent of, I, I don't care when you work, where you work. I, I'm really just looking for an end product. And your family needs to be important, and they need to be weaved into your life uh, appropriately. And uh, and I would say for most that work for me, I say you decide that first, and then you tell me when you're working um, on these projects. And that 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 works. You know, we we have sometimes in our careers that you don't have any flexibility if you're you know if you're an audit staff member and you're out at the client during audit season, uh, you have uh, six weeks or a month that you really don't have any flexibility. But outside of that, we have a lot of flexibility, and I uh, try to encourage everybody to have the voice to tell me they want to do something uh, differently or at a different time or place. Well, that's wonderful. My guess is you're motivating because people enjoy working for you. I hope so. I hope so. There's plenty when I have big deals going on that'll say, hmm, there may be some listening now that'll say, oh, my God, but when the big stuff comes down, it, it could be stressful. So, right. Well, I love uh, that you it's, said, it's you not know, always perfect. Yeah. Um, you know, you, I love that you said how much you love working for KPMG, you know, and how much you love your job. And, it, you know, after 30 some years to be still enthusiastic, um, that's not always the case. Yes. You're right. I, I, I am uh, blessed. Uh, my husband always laughed, and I'd say something about, well, I worked all day. He said, yeah, but you love your job. You could still come home and do this other stuff. You just love your job. So <laughs> uh, I, think that's, I think that's true. Um, and it is, but I think it's also because I, I move so much. I get bored easily, and I just take the time to find something new and say, hey, I'd really like to do this. Well, um, is, is there something I have to sell it? Yeah, yeah. Is there is there something that you know outside of your career that you have on a bucket list that you would like to do? Oh, lots of things. So, so perhaps getting on corporate boards, which is which is an inspiration uh, of writing um, the book. If I do that, uh, no. What I'd really love to be is a chef and uh, take a cooking uh, class somewhere. Um, and do that 
I, I think that would be uh, fantastic. I've been too busy to even do it on weekends and things, so, uh, but I, I do love to cook and um, think that that would be great fun. And maybe throw it in with uh, travel. Well, uh, yeah, there's some great cooking schools if, in Europe if you, you know, you could combine the two. Right, right. So I, I, we recently um, sold our house in California to buy our retirement home, which is in Napa Valley. So mm. we're, we're halfway thinking through it. Oh, public accounting. My, my public accounting has to retire young, so it's, uh, we'll have lots of years to uh, do some fun things. And I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, um, I think Beth was going to mention. You mentioned Napa Valley, and she lit up. Have you been there, Beth? I think I think we might have uh, lost her audio. Um, Nancy, one of the questions I have for you, because I think this is something that all women face and certainly professional women, and it seems to be, um, you know, common no matter how many years we've been in a career or with a company, that there's still those moments where we have, you know, the inner critic kind of pops up in our head and, and we second-guess something that we're doing. Is that something that, that happens to you? And if so... What do you do in those moments? It does, and I hate it. Um, <laughs> so I'm actually, I tell, I, it just blows me away. So there's a couple of things that happen to me regularly, and I just I have to uh, mentally uh, fight it down. Um, one, I'll be in a like in a, some sort of meeting, just around the table, talking about things that perhaps I'm not an expert in, but I have a either a gut feeling or a strong thought about something and for for most of my career I would just hold it in Mm -hmm. so I've lately been telling myself when that happens just trust your feelings this is good people are people will value what you say just get out there and say it so I, I literally go through a process of saying just get out there throw it out there have the confidence that what you've said is important and even if it's not right it's still going to be important to the conversation so I think women um uh, should do more of that. Don't don't hold back. If you think you know something, don't be the shy one. And that's actually a criticism of a lot of women that they're in meetings and they're not participating enough. So whatever you can do uh, to get over that and go through the exercises like I do would be good. The other one that just it just cracks me up uh, is when I'll do something with my daughter. Say if I go to her school, so I'm late to work and I show up at 10 or whatever, and I'm about to push the elevator. I go, oh, what if my boss saw me? What would I say? And I go, oh, you're crazy. No, nobody in years has ever said, have you worked in this fancy? You know, most of them, they see me and go, oh, we're so glad to see you. You're in New York today. Perfect. What are you doing? So right. For right. whatever reason, that, that guilt of uh, living a uh, non, um, uh, you know, static life of being at work every day at the exact same time, I still laugh that I get that that guilt in my head, and I still have to shake it off. Well, and isn't that ironic? Because you know, it's it's that feeling of no matter how much you're doing, you're still not doing enough. Right. 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 We probably feel that way going home too, right? If I'm not home to cook dinner. That's <laughs> right. That's right. It is. Well, that's probably that, the problem with all women. Yeah, it it really is. Um, you know, you've again, you've been um, working for gosh over thirty years, and you know, I think it's a really exciting time for women, um, professional women, and and women who are pursuing careers. It's it, there's a different type of shift happening today 
uh, than did many years ago. You know, we, we talk about the 70s and the feminist movement. Um, what would you say you're seeing or experiencing as one of the positive changes that's occurring for women? Oh, I think that's exactly right. I think we're so much open to more female leaders. There, there's been uh, a lot of discussion about the value of the different voice. Um, and if you would have told me even 10 years ago that that would have been a conversation at all these leadership discussions. So I, I used to, uh, you know, maybe 10 years ago, I think the big push was how do we make sure there's a woman on every slate? And I think most companies uh, were able to get to that within four or five years, right? They were able to do that. And then there was this enormous push of, well, they're on the slate. Why aren't you selecting them? What, what's the difference this year? I think there's been a great conversation around there are the differences and let's value them. It could be, you know, the differences in communications or other things are not that are not because somebody would not be a good leader. They're just a different leader. And I think we're seeing, uh, particularly in the U.S. Um, and maybe Western Europe, we're seeing uh, companies go, oh, that difference is valued. Um, and it is okay to be different. I like that, that that's going on. I think the rest of the world is just starting uh, to say, and broader than that, but um, saying, oh, my gosh, these women, if we educate our women in our developing countries and are able to uh, take their ability to work at whatever, you think about what their GDP and how they really are going to change those countries and the world if we get more people uh, access into the middle class particularly. So I think it's a, a exciting, wonderful uh, time. My daughter has no fear going into college thinking about what she wants to do. Um, and, and I enjoy seeing that um, mm. versus, you know, even when I went to college, it was like, well, what, what jobs could I get? You know, there, was, there wasn't a lot that were on the list. So. Yeah, yeah, that is so true. It seems much more limiting. And today, there's it's unlimited. I mean, if girls can't, if they're not hearing that message, um, you know, today that they really can go out and pursue any industry they want, they're they're not listening (laughs) because we're saying it right. We really are. Um, Nancy, it was so great to have you on the show this afternoon. We just have a moment left. I wanted to give uh, Dr. Dupree an opportunity to say thank you and goodbye. Nancy, thank you so much for your insight. And good luck well, to your thank daughter. You so I hope much. she does what she loves because I tell yeah. her all the time. Right. That's the important thing. It well, is. it's delightful talking to both of you. Thank and you so much. Such a great program. Continue it on and uh, best of luck. We will. Thanks so much, Nancy. That's it, everyone, for this week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860 and womentowatch.net. I hope you Tune in next week and uh, be sure to check out our website at womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net. Have a great week. Thanks. Bye.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park 